welcome back to Identity Insights by Indicio. I am your host, Tim Spring, and today I'm joined by Indicio Deputy CTO Sam Curran to discuss the basics of Didcom. This is the second in our three-part series on Didcom, and in the first, we sought to understand the general concepts and goals of the project, and in this discussion, we'll be taking a deeper technical dive into how exactly the technology works. Uh, thank you again for joining me today, Sam. Uh, I know I asked you a little bit about yourself in our last episode, uh, but for those who haven't seen it, would you mind giving us a brief recap? Sure. Uh, I am the I'm an architect for Adicio, and I both work with the community as well as customers um, to help um, to help design solutions and, and to collaborate on stuff. I do a lot of community work. Um, I'm involved in the Aries community, but I'm also a co-chair of the uh, of the the Didcom spec working group at the DIFF that uh, that created version two of the of the Didcom spec that we're talking about. So heavily involved there. Um, also involved in the Didcom users group um, that's also uh, hosted at the DIFF. Awesome. Well, no, we appreciate you coming back again. So in the last segment, we discussed uh, some cool uses for Didcom, such as secure messaging between the holders of Dids, uh, but we didn't really get into exactly how that's accomplished. So I was curious if you'd be able to tell me a bit more technically how that works. Yeah, so um, uh, messaging between holders of Dids. Uh, and so messages are created by the message sender uh, and they are created with all the information necessary for the message. They are packed, which uh, what, what we mean by that is they're encoded and encrypted uh, to the recipient and then they're sent to the endpoint in the recipient's did document. Um, I'll talk about mediators in a minute, but uh, but mediators uh, are used to relay the messages if the if the um, if the device is network challenged, uh, like a cell phone or or any other firewall device, um, and then that message is uh, can be unpacked, meaning it can be decrypted and decoded on the recipient side, and then uh, and then the recipient has the message. And of course, the reverse can also happen for sending messages the other direction. And sorry, you you said a term that I'm not familiar with. There, what is a did document, and what is that? Oh. Good question. So um, a did is a decentralized identifier, and a did document is what you get when you resolve a did document. What what resolution means is that you follow the instructions on how to obtain the did document. Um, every did method is different, uh, but the did document itself is information that contains. Uh, um, keys and service endpoints related to the did. So uh, the public keys of, of that party, for example, are present in the did document, and also a service endpoint for something like didcom um, can be present there. So would you be able to tell me a little bit about maybe some uh, different applications and maybe some examples uh, that would kind of benefit from the technology? I can. It could be any system, but the but the the types of devices um, and applications that uh, that benefit most from the use of Didcom are ones that interact with users and the devices they use. So that could be phones or laptops um, yeah, or or IoT devices, things like that. Um, particularly that uh, tend to be seen as sort of the client and a client server relationship. Um, the uh, those are the devices and the in the applications that that benefit most. Okay. And are there any technical differences to highlight between Didcom and other methods of, you know, obviously there's other ways to connect and communicate digitally? Yeah. Um, so it, it depends on exactly what you're comparing. Um, but uh, the, the thing that I'm going to compare Didcom to is APIs. Um, and APIs are really common uh, and, and the, the most dominant form of them maybe you know, HTTP-based APIs when you're using uh, JSON or something else to communicate with an API. Um, and those are good. We've done a lot of cool things with them on the internet. Um, Didcom itself is is different in that it is it's a peer system designed on passing messages. So every party is in the peer, whether you're an organization or a device or a person, um, you um, uh, or or one of the devices that the people use, uh, and you pass uh, information in that way because it's message based. Um, it uh, 
it has some some powerful advantages. Um, one of them is that um, it, it handles uh, the greater array, as I was mentioning, of the devices that humans use. Um, but it's also um, uh, is is oriented in a way that allows for semantic information to be passed. So. Uh, that could be like chat, for example. Chat's a great peer-to-peer -peer type of use case, uh, but chat tends to be words just for humans to, to read on the other side and not necessarily the um, uh, any semantic or sort of uh, um, detailed information for the, really the software on the other side to consume. And so DIDCOM has um, uh, the semantics built in so that you can pass uh, information back and forth between software applications uh, that relate to users but may not be messages that the user consumes directly. Um, an example for that uh, might be location sharing. Um, I could I could text you my latitude and longitude, but that's not really useful for humans to look at without using some other software. And so if you can mark it as location, then then the software on the other side could do something like render a map or or calculate the distance away that that person is or something like that. And so that's why the semantic uh, communication is 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 powerful as as part of Didcom. Makes sense. Often a lot of these devices, right, are kind of and you touched on this a little bit are kind of hidden behind firewalls or offline, otherwise unreachable. Uh, kind of what happens when DIDCOM encounters that? So this is really important because it, it's one of the differences between a message-based architecture and, a, and, a, and an API-driven architecture is that typically uh, things behind firewalls can't host APIs, uh, which puts, puts them on, on sort of unequal footing, um, architecturally speaking. And so DIDCOM uses the concept of a mediator to, to serve network challenge devices. Nearly all of the hardware that humans use are, are network challenged, either because of a battery life or, or intermittent signal, whether it's a cell phone or a laptop that's on Wi-Fi sometimes and you know, plugged into a network sometimes. Um, and so uh, mediators are really useful to allow those parties to receive those messages but mediators are not trusted. They don't get to see message contents. Uh, the messages are always encrypted to the to the final recipient, of course, of that message. Uh, but by using one or more mediators, um, you can overcome firewall problems. And there's also a, a side effect of, of enabling um, uh, increased privacy through herd privacy. When messages uh, from lots of different um, users are, are, are mixed together, then it's a lot more uh, difficult to you know, analyze message patterns, for example, um, and, and, uh, and compromise privacy in that way. Okay, interesting. Uh, you mentioned something there that I'm a bit curious about, which is uh, you mentioned one or more mediators. Is there ever a reason to use a bunch of mediators for something like this? So um, technically speaking, you can encounter, you can overcome nearly any uh, firewall related problem with just a single mediator. Um, but uh, you may want to use more mediators, um, either for flexibility on receiving messages um, or for that herd privacy aspect. Technically, you can use as many mediators as you would like, and there's a, the, the protocol supports that. It's uncommon to use very many. Um, uh, this is, <laughs> I joke a little bit and say that you can you can always uh, you can always um, choose the number of mediators that you want to use based on the thickness of your tinfoil hat. If you're looking <laughs> for lots of herd privacy, more mediators will give that to you. All right, good to know. Um, so uh, I think you mentioned briefly in our last call, uh, and this is kind of how I've been thinking of DIDCOM, is it's a protocol, right? Would you be able to tell me what exactly and dive deeper into what DIDCOM is exactly? Uh, yeah, I totally will. It is a protocol, but it's something extra than that. It's a meta protocol, uh, meaning DIDCOM by itself does very little. Uh, there's very little in the spec. Um, it doesn't define lots of protocols for interacting with with all sorts of different things, just the very basics to to make the system function entirely. And then a meta protocol is designed to have protocols built on top of it. Um, and so uh, other protocols can be um, can be can be built 
to um, to allow uh, rich encryption with the batteries included features that Didcom has, and, and I'll I'll talk about what those are. Um, uh, Didcom includes uh, authenticated encryption of messages, and this allows for uh, the recipient uh, when they're decoding the message and decrypting it to to gain confidence of who the sender was. Um, and so that's a useful feature. Um, and, and so there's, you don't really authenticate messages using a separate mechanism because it's built into the way that it works. Um, and, um, and then it's, uh, Didcom also contains the information on how to get the message to the ultimate recipient um, of the message. And that's set up by the, by the message receiver, you know, specifies how they would like that, that message routing to occur through mediators that we we're just talking about. And so the meta protocol defines all of the foundational elements that you need to, to use to, to make interesting things happen, but doesn't itself actually define what all of those interesting things are. Okay, so who does define what those interesting things are? That's the right question. Um, so uh, anyone can build a protocol on top of a meta protocol. Um, and so that's fantastic. Um, no permission is needed to build a, a, a DIDCOM protocol. You can go ahead and, and write one and, and coordinate with others in your industry or your vertical or your company or your friend group or, or anything that you want for implementation in the, in the software. Um, that, uh, that you're talking about. Um, there's built-in ways uh, in the meta protocol itself, the, the spec itself, to discover which protocols other parties support so that you can figure out if they, for example, support the tic-tac-toe protocol and you can play a, t a game of tic-tac-toe with them or whatever the use case might be. And so there's, there's a little bit, just enough support to allow for, um, for discovery and interactions with, with the other parties that you, uh, that you communicate uh, with using a DIDCOM as a meta protocol and all the protocols on top of it. Um, and so there's a lot of different interesting things that you could do. Uh, so one obvious use case is verifiable credentials. That tends to be talked about a lot, particularly in the identity community. Um, but other uh, human-oriented protocols are very uh, are very common as well. Uh, so uh, human uh, communication-oriented protocols, uh, including chat, but also things like asking and answering questions or or confirmations of actions, um, even things like I think I mentioned location sharing or or, or sensor updates um, as it relates to a human um, can can benefit from from protocols uh, built on top of that. Um, and so the the neat part about a meta protocol and having a bunch of protocols built on top is those protocols can actually mix in a really powerful way. So when you're communicating, for example, um, between two parties, um, you might use uh, human chat oriented messages, but also mixed with, with verifiable credential exchanges, both ways even um, uh, for you know, verification or issuance, uh, but also confirming things or uh, sharing location, as I mentioned, or, or any of those other types of interactions that, that can be really useful to have in a trusted way. Um, and so, uh, so combining those those meta the, those uh, those protocols built on top of the meta protocol can be really useful. Okay, so if you wouldn't mind, would you be able to tell me a little bit about how that interaction kind of looks, right? So if I have a protocol that I support, uh, and I want to reach out to you and be like, hey, do you support this? Uh, you know, what happens if you do? What happens if you don't? Obviously, if we do, then we we create a connection or something, right? If you if you accept. Uh, but how does that checking and if it doesn't, what happens then? Yeah, so um, the when we are talking about uh, communicating between uh, with DIDCOM, we tend to call it a DIDCOM connection. And I don't mean to overblow what a connection means in this case. It doesn't mean that you have like a live streaming two-way thing all the time. What it means is that you are capable of sending a message to the other party and they're capable of sending a message to you. So one of the message, one of the core protocols defined in the spec is a, is a discover features protocol. And you can use that to ask the other party uh, what features they support or share with the other party which features you support. 
Um, and so uh, one of those features, of course, is a protocol. And so to, to go back to my tic-tac-toe example, um, you can send a message that says, hey, do you support the tic-tac-toe protocol? Um, and the other party is, is then capable of answering that. Um, those messages are not really human oriented, so I'm not going to get a message that says, hey, what protocols do you support? The software I'm using already knows what it supports. It'll just answer. It's also worth noting from a privacy perspective, there's no requirement that you disclose all of the protocols that you support to all of the parties that you have. I might only want to uh, to disclose the fact that, I, that I'm capable of engaging in a tic-tac-toe protocol with my other fellow tic-tac-toe gaming buddies and, you know, may not want to reveal to the people that that I interact with at church that I'm engaged in such salacious gaming, right? Um, and so uh, you can you can decide what you want to disclose to the other party based on uh, any privacy reasons or expected interactions that you might have with them. Um, from a user side, of course, they don't necessarily see all of that, but from a user side, um, they can see indications in their software about what uh, what protocols might be engaged in. So I might have sort of different symbols or different menu options or something uh, indicating that, um, that that this party is capable of interacting. So if I connect with one party, if I connect with my bank and they won't play tic-tac-toe with me, I don't get the like play tic-tac-toe option in my software. Um, but if I but if I connect with you, Tim, and you can play tic-tac-toe with me because your software enables that, then that, that option could be visible to both of us. And so it sort of, uh, it can be used to customize the user experience based on the capabilities of the other, of the other party that you're connected with. All right, very cool. Um, so you mentioned Verifile credentials briefly. Uh, could you talk a bit more about how they relate to Didcom? Yeah, so verifiable credentials are uh, are a really common topic. Uh, I mentioned, especially in the in the identity uh, community, um, uh, verifiable credentials are a really excellent mechanism for making uh, data uh, or trusted data portable. Um, Data could just be information, but if I just provide you something, you don't necessarily know if I just made it up or if it's like real. Um, and, and, a, and a verifiable credential allows me to present information to you that has been certified by another party. Uh, for example, if you needed my mailing address, I could just tell it to you. But if like you really needed to make sure that it was both my mailing address and a, and a valid real address, then maybe I could give you a credential that has been issued by the Postal Service or some other authority that has, that has done the appropriate verification. And because uh, the credential contains that in a um, with alongside cryptography and, and signatures, et cetera, you can verify that information without having to necessarily go ask the originator of the message. You'll have to go to the post office and say, can you check this address for me, which is both more private um, and, and privacy preserving, but also faster and cheaper. Um, and so um, verifiable credentials are, are you really useful in DIDCOM relationships by adding trust to the DIDCOM relationship. Just having a DIDCOM relationship itself doesn't necessarily prove to you anything about the other party. And so the exchange of verifiable credentials can elevate the trust that you have in that relationship to whatever level necessary for the types of interaction you're gonna have. Um, if you uh, are someone that I met at a conference, I may not necessarily have a high level of trust. If uh, if you are my bank, I probably want a really high level of trust. And in fact, you are my bank, um, and, uh, and 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 that you are as a bank, you know, FDIC insured or what other you know accreditations are are, are useful in, in those particular uh, circumstances. Um, and so uh, that establishing of trust on a DIDCOM connection is, is a really powerful way um, uh, to, to leverage both technologies and, and, and kind of the intersection of, of how they apply to DIDCOM. You can use DIDCOM to issue and to, um, uh, and to verify uh, uh, verifiable credentials, but the trust that you benefit from also affects all of the other protocols that you engage in. Um, and so I, this is a little bit of a silly contrived example, but um, 
in the beginning of a tic-tac-toe game, we might want to exchange a credential of our tic-tac-toe league rankings. And that way I know that I'm playing another high level player or something um, as part of that process. And, and that can be useful alongside or, or, or leading up to a, a game that we play um, you know, using some different protocol. And so the interplay between protocols and the trust gained from verifiable credentials is really important there. Well, it sounds, uh, as a more non-technical person, it sounds pretty cool, but pretty complicated as well. Uh, so I was curious how difficult it is to kind of get started using Didcom and what kind of technical background you would recommend for someone that's interested in learning more or, or to try to work with the technology. Absolutely. If you enjoy reading specs, the specs are there, of course, for your reading enjoyment. Um, but there's also a bunch of uh, existing libraries that have been created to to help you get started with that sort of a thing. Um, it is important because of the of the architectural differences between, say, like APIs and, and DIDCOM that, that some of the basics uh, that you understand. Um, and so uh, seeking some additional uh, resources online to help you understand those concepts is important. Um, sometimes there's trainings available um, that you can find as well. Um, DIDCOM.org is a reasonable place for that. That's that's being updated and will continue to be so with, with uh, new information about DIDCOM itself, of course. Um, but, um, but that will help you gain some of the, sort of the starting concepts that you need uh, to understand you know, how, to, how to put it in place. Um, and uh, and, and that's, a, that's a, a useful resource to get going. Okay. And for those developers that are you know, maybe on the fence, like, hey, it, it sounds cool, it sounds complicated, what, uh, what advice would you give those people that are kind of like, I don't know if I should try it or not? Uh, take a look at the technology so you understand it. And then I think it's important to understand the benefits that it provides that are not necessarily easily obtained by other technologies or other architectural methods. So um, DIDCOM is, um, I have to again reference a blog post written by uh, Daniel Hardman, uh, a friend of mine, um, called um, called Big Deaths and Little People. Um, that's easy to Google up. Um, and uh, and that's an excellent blog post. We can include the links uh, as well in the, in the show notes here. But the... Um, it highlights a problem about the architecture of the internet and the fact that um, the fact that APIs don't place the participants uh, on the internet on, on an equal footing. Um, and DIDCOM is designed, architecturally speaking, to, to fix that, um, such that we can be peers in their interaction. And it, and it still means that we still have the roles that we play. My bank is still my bank, and I'm still a people, person that might have an account at the bank. But from an architectural perspective, we are on equal footing, and that's really important for the development of technology and in the, the representation of, of not just the types of interaction that we have, but the types of trust that are possible on the internet. Um, it's, it's far more um, common for institutions to want to verify people, for example, than for people to be capable of verifying institutions. And, and that's something that needs to be fixed at an architectural level to really gain the trust that we want. Um, so, uh, so consider the fact um, that uh, that the DIDCOM is one of these technologies that can enable a, a, a fundamental change in the internet to get us the types of interactions, the types of uh, of trust, um, and the other the other features that we want on the internet in the future. Uh, sounds good. No, that's uh, that's really funny. I don't think it's going to stay in, but uh, I actually just recently got an email saying, "Hey, you have this bill for uh, you know some healthcare stuff." And it was from a place I'd never heard of before. So like having I, that kind of I just had a I just had a friend who's relatively techno savvy um, get tricked into this thing that luckily didn't the, the scam didn't go all the way through. But she was um, uh, she was notified that she'd like failed to appear in court. And so there was a way to resolve it. But she had to like 
you know, make a, 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 a like a fee penalty payment to the right person. And she was freaked out about this whole thing um, and ended up being able to resolve. She resolved the issue by showing up at a police station and asking them how to resolve the issue. And they're like, that's not a thing. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and she is not a, she's a very, very smart person, uh, but was just sort of caught in a moment. It was executed really well. Um, and her lack of ability to verify the trust in the interaction that she had, um, you know, around like coordinating a court appearance or something else is a huge issue. Um, and so a lot of people say, well, like, I don't really need to trust the interactions I have online. And I'm like, well, do you, you may not be thinking about this very deeply because, uh, it, it touches us all in really important ways. And we all, it's become a regular activity for us to wade through scams and they propagate through email, text message, social media. They're every, 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 every thing that we invent will we'll have things for that. And so Didcom is no different, which is why we need the trust layer that verifiable credentials can provide uh, because otherwise it's, we're, we're never gonna escape this particular problem. We have to have reasonable ways of establishing trust um, so that we can understand the implications of the messaging and the, and, the, and and how to interact with those that we message with. Absolutely. Well, it looks like that is about our time for today. Uh, if you at home are interested in learning more about verifiable credential technology and would like to uh, learn more, please be sure to subscribe to the channel. We'll continue to bring you some more educational content. If you have any questions or specific topics that you'd like for us to address, please go ahead and leave a comment below and we'll be sure to read and address them. And thank you again to you, Sam. Uh, we'll make sure to include the links as well as that link to Daniel Hardman's piece in the uh, description below. So go ahead and uh, click those to learn some more. And are there any uh, just final thoughts or key takeaways for the technical aspects of DidCom that you'd like to share? Uh, if you're interested, come and join us. There's the DidCom users group is a technical users group um, and that, that meets uh, that meets weekly at the Decentralized Identity Foundation. We've got a Discord channel also be in the notes down below. Um, come join us, ask questions. Uh, we would love to help you learn more. Uh, and we're we're always actively uh, seeking to improve the online resources. And so so check back on, on the regular or ask for some specific things that you would like clarification on and that will guide our efforts. Thanks for listening.